Chapter Nine, Part One of the Sea: Its Stirring Story of Adventure, Peril and Heroism, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Sea: Its Stirring Story of Adventure, Peril and Heroism, Volume One by Frederick Wimper chapter nine part one round the world on a man-o-war northward and southward the australian station many english men-of-war have visited the interesting peninsula of kamchatka all included in the china station how well the writer remembers the first time he visited petropolovsky the port of peter and paul entering first one of the noblest bays in the whole world glorious avacha bay and steaming a short distance the entrance to a capital harbour disclosed itself in half an hour the vessel was inside a landlocked harbour with a sand spit protecting it from all fear of gales or sudden squalls behind was a highly coloured little town red roofs yellow walls and a church with burnished turrets the hills around were autumnally frost-coloured but not all the ideas the expression will convey to an artist could conjure up the reality indian yellow merging through tints of gamboge yellow and brown ochre to sombre brown matter lake brown matter indian red to roman sepia greys bright and dull greens indefinable and utterly indescribable formed a melange of colour which defied description whether by brush or pen it was delightful but it was puzzling king frost had completed at night that which autumn had done by day then behind rose the grand mountain of koryatsky one of a series of great volcanoes it seemed a few miles off it was although the wonderful clearness of the atmosphere belied the fact some thirty miles distant an impregnable fortress of rock streaked and capped with snow it defies time and man its smoke was constantly observed its pure snows only hid the boiling bubbling lava beneath with the exception of a few decent houses the residences of the civil governor captain of the port and other officials and a few foreign merchants the town makes no great show the poorer dwellings are very rough and indeed are almost exclusively log cabins a very picturesque and noticeable building is the old greek church which has painted red and green roofs and a belfry full of bells large and small detached from the building and only a foot or two raised above the ground it is to be noted that the town as it existed in captain clark's time was built on the sand spit it was once a military post but the cossack soldiers have been removed to the amur there are two monuments of interest in petropolovsky one in honour of bering the second to the memory of la perouse the former is a plain cast-iron column railed in while the latter is a most nondescript construction of sheet iron and is of octagonal form 
Neither of these navigators is buried in the town. Poor Baring's remains lie on the island where he miserably perished, and which now bears his name, while of the fate of La Perouse and his unfortunate companions little is known. In 1855, Petropolovsky was visited by the Allied fleets during the period of our war with Russia. They found an empty town, for the Russian government had given up all idea of defending it. The combined fleet captured one miserable whaler, raised the batteries, and destroyed some of the government buildings. There were good and sufficient reasons why they should have done nothing. The poor little town of Sants Peter and Paul was beneath notice, as victory there could never be glorious. But a stronger reason existed in the fact, recorded in a dozen voyages, that from the days of Cook and Clark to our own, it had always been famous for the unlimited hospitality and assistance shown to explorers and voyagers, without regard to nationality. All is not fair in war. Possibly, however, reason might be found for the havoc done in the events of the previous year. In August 1854, the inhabitants of Petropolovsky had covered themselves with glory, much to their own surprise. On the 28th of the month, six English and French vessels, the President, Virago, Pique, La Forte, Loredici, and L'Obligado, entered Avacha Bay. Admiral Price reconnoitred the harbor and town, and placed the Virago in position at 2,000 yards. The Russians had two vessels, the Aurora and Duina, to defend the harbor, and a strong chain was placed across its narrow entrance. The town was defended by seven batteries and earthworks, mounting fifty guns. It was not difficult to silence the batteries, and they were accordingly silenced. The townspeople, with their limited knowledge of the English, those English they had always so hospitably received, and who were now doing their best to kill them, thought their hour was come, and that, if not immediately executed, they would have to languish exiles in a foreign land, far from their beautiful Kamchatka. The town was, and is, defended almost as much by nature as by art. High hills shut it in so completely, and the harbor entrance can be so easily defended, that there is really only one vulnerable point, in its rear, where a small valley opens out into a plot of land bordering the bay. Here it was thought desirable to land a body of men. Accordingly, seven hundred marines and sailors were put ashore. The men looked forward to an easy victory, and hurriedly, in detached and straggling style, pressed forward to secure it. Alas, they had reckoned without their host. They were rushing heedlessly into the jaws of death. A number of bushes and small trees existed, and still exist, on the hillsides surrounding this spot and behind them were posted Cossack sharpshooters, who fired into our men, and either from skill or accident picked off nearly every officer. The men, not seeing their enemy, and having lost their leaders, became panic-struck, and fell back in disorder. 
a retreat was sounded but the men struggling in the bushes and underbrush and in truth most of them being sailors were out of their element on land became much scattered and it was generally believed that many were killed by the random shots of their companions a number fled up a hill at the rear of the town their foes pursued and pressed upon them and many were killed by falling over the steep cliff in which the hill terminates the inhabitants astonished at their own prowess and knowing that they could not hold the town against a more vigorous attack were preparing to vacate it when the fleet weighed anchor and set sail and no more was seen of them that year the sudden death of our admiral is always attributed to the events of that attack as he was known not to have been killed by a ball from the enemy the writer has walked over the main battlefield and saw cannonballs unearthed when some men were digging gravel which had laid there since the events of eighteen fifty four the last time he passed over it in eighteen sixty six was when proceeding with some russian and american friends to what might be termed an international picnic for there were present european and asiatic russians full and half-breed natives americans including genuine yankee new englanders new yorkers southerners and californians englishmen frenchmen germans and one italian chatting in a babel of tongues the party climbed a path on the hillside leading to a beautiful grassy opening overlooking the glorious bay below which extended in all directions a dozen or fifteen miles and on one side farther than the eye could reach several grand snow-covered volcanoes towered above thirty to fifty miles off one of most beautiful outline that of vilichinsky was on the opposite shore of avacha bay the sky was bright and blue and the water without a ripple wild flowers were abundant the air was fragrant with them and but for the mosquitoes which are not confined to hot countries but flourish in the short summer of semi-arctic climes it might have been considered an earthly edition of paradise but even these pests could not worry the company much for not merely were nearly all the men smokers but most of the ladies also here the writer may remark parenthetically that many of the russian ladies smoke cigarettes and none object to gentlemen smoking at table or elsewhere at the many dinners and suppers offered by the hospitable residents it was customary to draw a few whiffs between the courses and when the cloth was removed the ladies instead of retiring to another room sat in company with the gentlemen the larger proportion joining in the social weed after the enjoyment of a liberal al fresco dinner songs were in order and it would be easier to say what was not sung than to give the list of those in all languages which were then after the songs came some games one of them a russian version of hunt the slipper and another very like kiss in the ring the writer particularly remembers the latter for he had on that occasion the honor of kissing the pope's wife this needs explanation although the pope was his friend 
in the greek church the priest is allowed to marry and his title in the russian language is pope and the recollection of that particular pope recalls a well-remembered ceremony that of a double wedding in the old church during the ceremony it is customary to crown the bride and bridegroom in this case two considerate male friends held the crowns for three-quarters of an hour over the bride's heads so as not to spoil the artistic arrangement of their hair and headgear it seems also to be the custom when as in the present case the couples were in the humbler walks of life to ask some wealthy individual to act as master of the ceremonies who if he accepts has to stand all the expenses in this case m philippeus a merchant who has many times crossed the frozen steppes of siberia in search of valuable furs was the victim and he accepted the responsibility of entertaining all petropolovsky the officers of the splendid russian corvette the variag and those of the telegraph expedition with cheerfulness and alacrity the coastline of kamchatka is extremely grand and far behind it are magnificent volcanic peaks the promontory which terminates in the two capes kamchatka and stolbevoy has the appearance of two islands detached from the mainland the intervening country being low this a circumstance to be constantly observed on all coasts was perhaps specially noticeable on this the island of st lawrence in bering sea was a very prominent example it is undeniable that the apparent gradual rise of a coast seen from the sea as you approach it affords a far better proof of the rotundity of the earth than the illustrations usually employed that of a ship which you are supposed to see by installments from the main royal sail if not from the skyscraper or moon-raker to the hull the fact is that the royal and top gallant sails of a vessel on the utmost verge of the horizon may be in certain lights barely distinguishable while the dark outline of an irregular and rock-bound coast can be seen by any one first maybe appears a mountain peak towering in solitary grandeur above the coastline and often far behind it then the high lands and hills then the cliffs and lowlands and lastly the flats and beaches it was from the kamchatka river which enters bering sea near the cape of the same name that vitus bering sailed on his first voyage that navigator was a persevering and plucky dane who had been drawn into the service of russia through the fame of peter the great and his first expedition was directly planned by that sagacious monarch although he did not live to carry it out muller the historian of bering's career says the empress catherine as she endeavoured in all points to execute most precisely the plans of her deceased husband in a manner began her reign with an order for the expedition to kamchatka bering had associated with him two active subordinates spanberg and tshirikov 
They left St. Petersburg on February 5, 1725, proceeding to the Ochask Sea, via Siberia. It is a tolerable proof of the difficulties of travel in those days, that it took them two years to transport their outfit thither. They crossed to Kamchatka, where, on the 4th of April, 1728, Muller tells us, a boat was put upon the stocks, like the packet-boats used in the Baltic, and on the 10th of July was launched, and named the boat Gabriel. A few days later, and she was creeping along the coast of Kamchatka and eastern Siberia. Bering, on this first voyage, discovered St. Lawrence Island, and reached as far north as 67 degrees 18 minutes where finding the land trend to the westward he came to the conclusion that he had reached the eastern extremity of asia and that asia and america were distinct continents on the first point he was not as a matter of detail quite correct but the second the important object of his mission settled forever the vexed question a second voyage was rather unsuccessful his third expedition left Petropolovsky on the 4th of July, 1741. His little fleet became dispersed in a storm, and Bering pursued his discoveries alone. These were not unimportant, for he reached the grand chain of the rock-girt Aleutian Islands and others near the mainland of America. At length the scurvy broke out in virulent form among his crew, and he attempted to return to Kamchatka. The sickness increased so much that the two sailors who used to be at the rudder were obliged to be led in by two others who could barely walk, and when one could sit and steer no longer, one in little better condition supplied his place many sails they durst not hoist because there was nobody to lower them in case of need at length land appeared and they cast anchor a storm arose and the ship was driven on the rocks they cast their second anchor and the cable snapped before it took ground a great sea pitched the vessel bodily over the rocks behind which they happily found quieter water the island was barren, devoid of trees, and with little driftwood. They had to roof over gulches or ravines to form places of refuge. On the 8th of November a beginning was made to land the sick, but some died as soon as they were brought from between decks in the open air, others during the time they were on the deck, some in the boat, and many more as soon as they were brought on shore. On the following day the commander, Bering, himself prostrated with disease, was brought ashore and moved about on a hand-barrow. He died a month after, in one of the little ravines or ditches which had been covered with a roof, and when he expired was almost covered with the sand which fell from its sides, and which he desired his men not to remove, as it gave him some little warmth before his remains could be finally interred they had literally to be disinterred the vessel unguarded was utterly wrecked and their provisions lost 
they subsisted mainly that fearful winter on the carcasses of dead whales which were driven ashore in the spring the pitiful remnant of a once hardy crew managed to construct a small vessel from the wreck of their old ship and at length succeeded in reaching kamchatka they then learned that chikirokov bering's associate had preceded them but with the loss of thirty-one of his crew from the same fell disease which had so reduced their numbers bering's name has ever since been attached to the island where he died there is no doubt that Kamchatka would repay a detailed exploration which it has never yet received. It is a partially settled country. The Kamchatdales are a good-humoured, harmless, and semi-civilized race, and the Russian officials and settlers at the few little towns would gladly welcome the traveller. The dogs used for sledging in winter are noble animals, infinitely stronger than those of Alaska or even Greenland. The attractions for the alpine climber cannot be overstated. The peninsula contains a chain of volcanic peaks attaining, it is stated, in the Klochevskoy mountain, a height of 16,000 feet. In the country immediately behind Petropolovsky, are the three peaks koryatsky avacha and koseltsky the first is about twelve thousand feet in height and is a conspicuous landmark for the port a comparatively level country covered with rank grass and underbrush and intersected by streams stretches very nearly to their base End of chapter nine part one